Morning, everyone. I'm recovering from a head cold, so I've got some water here that I hope I don't have to use. How many of y'all ever heard that, you know, when you get sick, it's because of sin? Y'all ever heard that? I have a good story to tell you how you can uh, rebut somebody who tells you that. Years ago, I had an assistant. Her name was Lorraine. I've always been fortunate to have good assistants. They cover up a lot of your mistakes. And Lorraine, when she would come in sick, she'd say, Dr. Dallas, I don't know why I'm sick. And I would say, Lorraine, that's easy. It's sin in your life. And she would give me that look, you know, and walk out. Because nobody sick wants to be told that, of course, none of us. And then Lorraine noticed one day that I was sick. And so she came in my office. She says, you know, every time I get sick, you tell me a sin in your life. What's your excuse? I said, well, I guess I've just been around you sinners too long. <laughs> and so you can, if somebody challenges you on that, you can do it. Uh, so please bear with me because my voice is a little bit uh, off today. Probably sing a little bit more bass. Appreciate the opportunity to share from God's Word. Uh, Dr. May is very kind to do that. This morning I want to speak out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. The topic of this is called All In, Making Your Life Count. Several years ago, I wrote this, and I shared it to the opening chapel at Shorter. So if it sounds familiar, I didn't steal it from anybody. I actually did write it. Uh, you may have just been ha- happened to be at that chapel. It is about the life of one individual. I love character studies. I like to see how individuals' lives have been impacted by Jesus Christ and changed for the better. And today I want to talk about the life of one individual who died during World War II, but I read about him when I was a boy. And most of what I read about as a boy in terms of his spiritual life was just very thin. I had to go get another book to find out about how Jesus Christ impacted his life. You know a lot about him. His name is George Washington Carver. And most people know him as the father of the peanut industry, of which George is considered the capital. He was a Christian. And when I read this to you, one of the things that I want all of us to understand is his life, his true life, began with salvation through Jesus Christ. Everything he did, every accomplishment was based on the one decision which is to come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and allow him to change his life, direct his life, and then lead his life. Everything that flowed from him. Chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke, verse 25. It says, And a lawyer stood up and put him, meaning Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I won't read the rest of that story. You know the story of the Good Samaritan as well as I do. I want to focus on what it means to really commit one's life to Jesus Christ. Very, I interview everybody. And a lot of people, particularly when they're raised in the South, will come and say something like this. I was raised in a Christian home. That's good. But what you don't want to hear is, I was raised in a Christian home, so I have always been a Christian. That is not accurate. One is raised in a Christian home which prepares a person. I must confess to you, I've never known a time that I didn't know the name Jesus or know about Jesus Christ. It was spoken of in the home. He was talked about. But that didn't make me a Christian. I had to make the individual decision to come to faith in Jesus Christ personally. As Billy Graham says, God has no grandchildren. All of us who are believers had to come individually recognizing our own sinfulness and accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior to begin a life of discovery, a journey of joy, and a life that is well-pleasing to God. Some people believe if they just become Christians, then that's it. That is only the beginning of a life that pleases to God. This man asked this question. Jesus said, you've got to love God with every fiber of your being and willing to do everything that he asks of you 100% of the time, whether you're rich, poor, sick, healthy, it does not matter, married, single, to be sold to Jesus Christ with every facet of your life. I haven't accomplished that quite yet. Because sometimes I do things that I want to do that don't directly mirror what Jesus wants to do. So we're all on a life of discovery, a life of doing it. Let's talk, first of all, before we talk about Dr. Carver, about peanuts. I was a biology major. How many of y'all like biology? I just want to cut things open. I like doing that. Now I'm relegated to cutting a steak open. That's it. I love biology. Listen to about peanuts. God's creation is quite amazing. I want to read some statistics. According to the National Peanut Board, peanuts have more protein, niacin, folate, phytosterols. If you don't know what those are, that's all good stuff. Than any nut. Peanuts have a higher antioxidant capacity beyond grapes, grape juice, green tea, tomatoes, spinach, broccoli, carrots, and many more. Peanuts and peanut butter contain over 30 essential nutrients and phytonutrients. And as a bonus, they're naturally cholesterol-free. So when your wife mixes up one of those green drinks, just get some peanuts and a Coca-Cola. It'll do the same thing. (laughs) Americans eat enough peanut butter each year to produce 10 billion peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Of the top 10 American candy bars, four have peanuts or peanut butter in them. We spend about $800 million a year as a nation on peanut butter, and the average child will eat about 1,500 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches before graduating high school. Peanut butter is consumed in approximately 90% of American households. The world's largest peanut butter factory to do, produces about 250,000 jars of peanut butter daily. 
One acre of peanut, uh, peanuts will produce 30,000 peanut butter sandwiches. And in addition, peanuts add about $4 billion to the American economy. Now, what does all this have to do with one man committing his life to Jesus Christ? George Washington Carver is known, as I said, as the father of the peanut industry. George Washington Carver was a very brilliant man. He was a botanical chemist. That was the gift that God gave him. He developed more than 300 uses for peanuts, some of them really good, some of them just weird. He developed uh, peanut flakes, peanut flour, pancake flour, peanut brittle, peanut popcorn bars, peanut chocolate fudge, that sounds good, face cream, that doesn't sound so hot, antiseptic soap, dandruff cure, leather stains, non-toxic pigments, axle grease, and instant coffee. So were the accomplishments of Dr. Carver. In 1916, he published a book, How to Grow the Peanut, and 105 Ways of Preparing It for Human Consumption. He taught farmers, and Georgia farmers bended from this, the value of crop rotation, using depleted soils and showing how to replant them with plants that would re-energize the soil with vital nutrients. The Royal Society of London named him a fellow, he was awarded the Theodore Roosevelt Medal for his work in agriculture. President Truman designated his birthplace as a national monument. President Truman also set aside January 5th, which just happens to be my grandmother's birthday, as George Washington Carver Day. The United States Postal Service honored him with a stamp. And in 1951, the United States produced a coin George Washington Carver's face on it. Popular Science named him as one of 50 outstanding Americans, and the United States named a nuclear sub for him. Countless schools were named in honor of George Washington Carver, and you always thought it was simply because of the peanut, but it was not. It's simply because one man dedicated his life to Jesus Christ and began through the gift that God had given him, a journey of expiration. George Washington Carver committed his life to Jesus Christ when he was a teenager. And he devoted the rest of his life to discovering what God had created and how it could be used for the benefit of human beings. He never patented anything that he was not willing to give away free. People wanted his formulas, and for the price of a self-addressed postcard, Carver would give out the secret to his inventions free. He did not believe that the gift of God should cost another human one penny. How's that for a business model? To give it away after you spent hours and hours and hours and hours developing it. Most people of our day want to charge, want to make money. Nothing wrong with that. But how novel it is that one man born of the human race who sees the free gift of God should be the free gift to humanity. Life living as best. Carver believed in using his intellect. 
I'm an academic person. I think people ought to study. Isn't that, a, isn't that a great idea for college students? But I also believe when you get out of college, you should study. To me, a degree is simply a license to do more study. I don't like people to be intellectually lazy. I like people who have really sharp minds. I like people like that. I like people who say, well, have you ever thought about this? You're ever thinking about this? What about X, Y, Z? I like somebody. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. The intellect needs to be developed. I have two vice presidents that are a lot younger than I am. You have to usually slow them down. They have all the good ideas. You know what I'm saying? They want to stretch your mind. You do this. And then I have some vice presidents who are older and say, yeah, but have you thought about this? And you listen to people who are very smart, and I don't mean necessarily with brains, but people who study, people who look at things, whatever area of life it is. I want to tell you how smart some guy is in Rome. I won't tell you who it is. My truck, I went out one day to crank it up. Wouldn't crank. You know that's irritating, isn't it? You're always at the place where you need the thing to crank. Why can't it be somewhere where you don't need it? I have it towed in. And I said, what was it? He said, well, your wires were chewed off. What do you mean the wires were chewed off? I said, you mean squirrels got in my truck and chewed those wires? He said, no, the chipmunk. What do you mean the chipmunk? How do you know it's a chipmunk? He said, well, I could tell by the indentions on the plastic into the wires that's a chipmunk's mouth, not a squirrel. So the ch- I'm not kidding you. The chipmunk cost me 200 bucks to get my truck fixed. And so now I park my truck in the garage. Away from, I'm a truck away from those chipmunks. I thought, how is it that a mechanic knew about chipmunks? He'd seen it before. He studied it before. I thought, what a smart guy. What a smart guy. Study. God uses what we learn to impact others. Years ago, when I was in, a, in the pastorate, I would go visit people. You know how you visit? In those days, you would make cold calls. Those days are about gone now, but you used to make cold calls. So I go in this house, and there's this family. They won't hardly speak. I mean, they're just, you know, you have to pull conversation. I noticed their little boy is playing with Smurfs. Y'all know who Smurfs are? And I noticed he had the one red. I think that was Papa Smurf. Been a long time. So I said, I like the Smurfs. So the little boy came over to me, sits down in my lap, starts talking about Smurf. We talk about uh, Papa Smurf. We talk about uh, the little wizard guy. I can't remember his name now, but we talked about The family began to open up because I had expressed interest in their child. I had seen the Smurfs on TV, but the door of God was open because we knew something that's really irrelevant. Smurfs. Use every opportunity to share Jesus Christ, the intellect. The Bible says you're supposed to love God with our mind, everything we are. Carver did that. The second thing I noticed about Carver, he met obstacles and he didn't give up. You know how people give up on things? Somebody says something, somebody does something, they give up. Carver didn't do that. Listen to this man's life. He was born a slave during the Civil War. He never knew his father. 
He and his mother were captured by raiders and taken away, and only Carver returned. So he never knew his mother. He never knew his father. As a child, he was sickly. He had the whooping cough, and they thought he would die, but he didn't, and he recovered. His original name was George. In those days, slaves only received one name. His name was George. And he was known as by the man who uh, owned him, who was a man named Carver, so he was called Carver's George. When he got to the place where he was on his own, he took the name George Carver, but somebody else had that name, so he adopted the name Washington, George Washington Carver. He was accepted to Highland College in 1885, but when it was discovered he was African American, he was denied admission. So he's born a slave, he doesn't know his parents, he doesn't have his own name, He can't get into college, but he didn't quit. That's enough to make anybody quit, isn't it? But he didn't do it. He was finally accepted to college. He took a bachelor's degree at Iowa State, took a master's degree at Iowa State, and started to become very prominent as a scientist. As a matter of fact, he became so prominent that Booker T. Washington heard of him and sent him a letter saying, I want you to come work for me. Now remember, he's at Iowa State. He's starting to make a little money. He has a little prestige. Listen to this job offer. This is what Booker T. Washington wrote him. He said, Dr. Carver, our students are poor, often starving. They travel miles of torn roads across years of poverty. We teach them to read and write, but words cannot fill empty stomachs. They need to learn how to plant and harvest crops. I cannot offer you money, position, or fame. The first two you have. The last, from the place you now occupy, you will no doubt achieve. These things I now ask you to give up. I offer you in their place work. Hard work, work, the challenge of bringing people from degradation, poverty, and waste to full manhood. Carver gave up a lucrative career to go and help others. And no doubt his own upbringing, no doubt his own past propelled him, energized him to help others. God places you and I in the positions he wants us to be. He gives us the backgrounds that we have to be able to serve him and to use that for the very rest of our life in service to humanity. The Bible's full of such stories. You remember King David? The man who slew the nine-foot giant Goliath who wrote most of the Psalms, who wanted to build a temple to Almighty God, a man whom the Bible says was after his own heart, he almost didn't become king had it not been for God. Samuel went to his father Jesse's house. Jesse brought out all of his sons. And here's what the Lord said to Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance, 
Speaking of one of Jesse's sons and David's brothers, don't look how good looking he is. Don't look how tall he is because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How often have we been judged by the outward appearance and have done the same? Yet God looks at the heart. He looked at the heart of George Washington Carver. He refused to be a slave in his physical life, and he refused to be a slave to his past, but he was always sensitive to that upbringing which led him to want to help others. Let me encourage you not to be a slave to your past. George Barna, who does statistics, in 2011, he did a survey and it says 70 million Americans feel they are held back or defined by something in their past. Once Jesus Christ forgives sin, it is forgiven. It is forgiven. If God does not hold sin accountable to the person, who are we to do that? We are sinners. We are in a sinful world that we created, that we desired, and that God himself took the penalty for that sin on the cross. Have you ever thought about the first child born on this planet became a murderer? A liar, a murderer, and as he went out and had family, if you look at his lineage, they were awful people. The first child. Some people look at the world and say, how did it get this way? All we have to do is look in the mirror, don't we? And to say, how do we get out of it? We look at the word of the living God like Carver did. Never be held back by sin that is forgiven. March on. The third thing that Carver did that I find amazing, he really did commit every part of his life to Christ. As we said, it's one thing to be saved. It's another to say, God, I'm all in. I won't quit. No matter what. I'm going with you. No matter what. There are a lot of people who quit, don't they? A lot of people. God never does. Carver didn't. Carver in his Christian life, when he moved from Iowa State to Tuskegee, he wrote Booker T. Washington this back. And notice how he uses scripture. He says, I'm looking forward to a very busy, pleasant, and profitable time at your college and shall be glad to cooperate with you in doing all I can through Christ who strengthens me to better the condition of our people. That doesn't sound like he actually read the job offer, does it? It's insane to go somewhere for less money. It's crazy to take another job where you're going to lose comfort, isn't it? There is a story in the Bible about somebody who did that. She didn't have a husband. She had no 
great place in society. The only thing we know about her is that she loved God fully. We don't even know her name. The only name the Bible gave her was the widow. And she is in the temple. And she has two small coins. The widow's mite. And she puts her money in. The Pharisees are there with the checks that are about eight feet wide and ten feet tall. You know those big checks? They're putting that in. They're putting their money in. Others are going in of all this. And this little lady takes two small coins that nobody noticed and put it in. The only person who noticed that was Jesus. And he said she put in more than all of them. So the person who's given the most in history has already been identified. She gave everything she had to live on. We don't know that she ate that night. We don't know that she had food for breakfast. But we know that she loved God more than she loved herself. And so did Carver. He loved God more than than he loved self. He called his laboratory God's little workshop. Did you know in his, his laboratory he did something that's really wild? You know how many scientists now are atheists? You know, a lot of them say, well, God couldn't do that. Uh, God actually did do it. Carver started a Bible study with six people and at one time had over 100 people coming to his laboratory for Bible study. Carver believed that everything he produced was directly attributable to the knowledge God gave him and it was be used to help somebody else. He publicly proclaimed his faith. That's getting more and more rare, isn't it? Either everybody's a Christian these days when it's popular or if it's not popular, then some people just disappear. Carver because of his intellectual prowess and ability, was once called before the Congress of the United States, the U.S. Uh, House Ways and Means Committee, in 1921. They were considering a tariff on peanuts, imported peanuts. So Carver is invited to give testimony. He does all that. The chairman is astounded at how smart Carver is. This is recorded in their minutes. The chairman said, Dr. Carver, how did you learn all these things? Carver answered, from an old book. What book? Asked the chairman. Carver replied, the Bible. The chairman inquired, does the Bible tell about peanuts? No, sir, Carver replied, but it tells about God who made the peanut I asked him to show me what to do with the peanut, and he did. That's pretty good, isn't it? I don't know what the chairman did after that. He probably fell over in an apoplectic shock. Who knows? When you talk about the Bible these days, some people either want to use it as an accusation board. How about us using it as a way to live, to think, to breathe, to act, and to show others that we love Jesus Christ more than we love ourselves? Let's stand up for what is right. Let's say that we believe in the God who created everything in the world and everything in it. 
Every part of our being is attributable to him except our sin. Every fiber of life that flows from us was given by God who loves us. The Bible says this about the future in heaven. It says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that amazing? With all of our imagination, we cannot imagine the world that God has created. Carver said this, He said, man who needed a purpose, a mission to keep him alive, had one. He could be God's co-worker with one hand in the hand of fellow man in need and the other in the hand of Christ. He could get across the vacuum. He said, I became an agent. Then the passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, came to have real meaning in my life. When Carver died in 1943, the Second World War was raging. He had lived through two world wars, a Great Depression, born in the Civil War, saw all of these things, and he knew great hardship, yet he worked diligently to make sure that people heard about Jesus Christ. He took seriously what Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Because if the first is not done, the second cannot be done. What does the Lord want for you and I to have our lives transformed like Carver? It's found in the Bible. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. What an amazing man. One more story. I went to the University of North Carolina, which couldn't beat Virginia yesterday. and looked like a horrible team yesterday, so I'm mad at them today. When I was a freshman... At the University of North Carolina in 1975, NC State, our rival, hired a young lady. Her name was Kay Yao. You may know her better by Coach Kay. You know the cancer promotion that's in her memory. Kay Yao was an outstanding coach at NC State, and I watched the Lady Tar Heels lose uh, a number of games to her and her expertise. Kay Yao died in 2009. And what you may not know about Kay Yao is at her funeral, she played a video. And she started off by going, this is really weird. If you're seeing this video, I'm dead. Kay Yao talks about becoming the coach at NC State. And she said, a young girl from Campus Crusade from Christ came and said, I want to talk to your team about Jesus. She said, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about basketball. And she said, this young girl was so persistent, persistent, persistent. She said, I've got to figure out a way to get rid of her. Well, sometimes the way to get rid of people is to accommodate them. You know that. So she said, I will let her come and talk to the team. What harm can it do? And then I'll get rid of her. I'll be done with her. So the young girl came to speak to the team. Young girl talked about Jesus and she gave out decision cards. Said, would anybody like to fill one of these out? 
She collected the cards, and the next day she called Coach Yao. And she said, Coach Yao, I want you to go over the decision cards from last night. She said, you do know that one person accepted Jesus Christ last night. On your whole team, one person. And Kay Yao says, yes, I know. It was me. What if that little girl had not been persistent? God knew that Kay Yao would die in 2009 of cancer. He sent that little girl who thought more of others than she did herself. She sent that little girl who was hard-headed enough to keep going back because God had a plan for Kay Yao, and it wasn't basketball. It was using basketball as a platform to share Jesus Christ. He did that with George Washington Carver. He's done it with many untold, unnamed lives since then. And he wants to do it in your life and my life. Just remember this. In life's storms, the Bible talks about Jesus being our head. I will give you one last word of practical advice that I learned from my grandmother. Your feet can't drown if your head is above water. Our God is always above water. May we pray? Father, we're grateful for the life of Dr. Carver. Thankful that he chose you above wealth and fame. And Lord, it's very humbling to see people like him, to know that they gave everything that they made back to you in some form. Lord, I pray that you would create such a change in my heart. And I pray that you would do it in every man, woman, child across the face of the earth so that we may be good servants of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We recognize that we're not worthy to proclaim anything you say. For God, you use broken vessels remade in the image of Jesus Christ to declare your will. And for that, we're thankful. We pray that if any person doesn't know Jesus Christ this morning, they would come to receive him. Because only in you do we live and breathe and have life. For you, Father, are greater than all, and you deserve all glory and praise. We pray in the name of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.